scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? McFeely. I'm so glad yeah. you're here. I came as fast as I could. At my age, the little soldier needs a lot more thumping before it starts pumping. You know what I mean? You know, I do find, though, if I tickle my asshole just before I unleash the dog okay. of war... I, it's okay. I understand. No, because in the old days... Mm -hmm. You know, in the old... Just a little early. So, welcome to Inside early. Movies Galore, episode seventeen. I welcome you all tonight. Uh, tonight, some of you are new, some of you are, uh, are ancient. Um, I know I'm old. Stop rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, in any case, um, we are here to talk about um, The Exorcist, uh, directed by William Friedkin. Um, from 1973, and uh, we we also have here um, a guest on the show, um, Father Brian Small. Brian, uh, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for joining us. Today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Very good. So why don't you tell us, uh, the group, a little bit about uh, what you do first, um, and um, how did you get into horror while being a priest? Um... Well, I was always a movie buff, and actually I was going to go to film school before I uh, wound up in this. And really, you know, good liturgy is directing anyways, and everybody wants to direct. So, um, and The Exorcist is one of those movies that we watch in the seminary all the time anyways. Okay. So, um, what, uh, where are you um, getting, uh, um as a, as a priest. I'm sorry? What's your rank? What I church are you? Oh, sorry. What's, uh, what's I'm your... pastor, the pastor of a parish called Saints Peter and Paul in Decatur, Georgia, which is part of uh, the okay. metro Atlanta area. Okay. You're Episcopalian? No, Roman Catholic. Oh, okay. Because one, <laughs> one of our friends is an Episcopalian priest. Oh, so am I. Okay. I'm uh, um and um dane uh, you said you wanted to lead a little bit tonight yes um so let's just kind of cut right to the chase because i have a feeling this is going to be a long kind of fruitful discussion here because the Bring exorcist yeah the exorcist is one of those movies that 
is very provocative in a lot of ways. It provokes thought, it provokes reactions, it provokes a lot of different uh, ways of thinking and feeling about what one believes and what uh, one feels about the relationship between good and evil and how evil chooses to manifest itself. As you can no doubt tell, I am a huge fan of The Exorcist. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, let alone uh, horror films. Um, and just for a little background on me, I was raised uh, Catholic, and you know Christianity has been a big part of my life and upbringing. And uh, so when I finally saw The Exorcist at age 18, after having heard about how it was this really terrifying thing, um, I had already seen Poltergeist, after, uh, prior to that, I saw it at a younger age, and that terrified me. So when I saw The Exorcist, I was of the age where I wasn't really as scared by that kind of stuff uh, as easily. But I always I thought it was really intense and very thought provoking and very uh, effect effective with an A, um, and uh, obviously a masterpiece of filmmaking with you know practical effects, makeup, sound design, all of which were, uh, you know, pretty revolutionary for their time, great adaptation, uh, fantastic acting, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but more than that, I feel like it just resonates in a way that other horror films don't necessarily, because uh, it just goes right to the core of, uh, of, different issues of faith, struggles of faith, and more specifically the fact that, at least in William Peter Blatty, uh, the <coughs> author of the novel and the script, at least in his eyes, and I would, I'd, it's safe to say a lot of people's eyes, that he, his depiction of evil is not the mustache-twirling uh, villain who hides in the shadows and manipulates nor is it necessarily the enticing evil, although there's definitely temptations in here. It is the evil that hides in, or not really hides, it's there in the filth, in the puke blood, in a, a, all of the vilest things, in the innocent. And that's, of course, where the real terror comes in rather than a jump scare or a... Uh, gross-out effect, even though there are plenty of gross-out effects that were revolutionary for their time. Um, but that's really, at the core, what the story is about. It's that evil corrupts the innocent and will go stop at nothing to wreak uh, destruction upon, you know, a child and then everyone else around her. But more, well, or, less, well, more or less, that's kind of my opening preamble. But yeah, uh, Father Brian jump in huh. well i really got all that from this huh instead of <laughs> to say that it's about evil I, I i would nuance that and say it's about the problem of evil mm -hmm. and i guess just speaking from the framework of western religion or the abrahamic tradition it comes down to this how do we as rational human beings who have landed on the moon and have this amazing technology hence this conversation how we're having it and where we're having it how do we accept the idea that there's good in the world and at the same time we are capable of such amazing, atrocious evil? And so whereas I think people tend to look at the story as, you know, as Reagan as the main character, see, I think Damien Karras is really the main character. 
Um, and j just as a, a slight point of fact, is at the very end of the movie, he is the one who in fact becomes the exorcist, not uh, Marin. Uh -huh. Marin starts it, but it's Karis who finishes it. But it's really Karis's struggle because he's a psychiatrist. He has medical training. And so he's theologically informed. He's scientifically informed. And it's, the hell his, is that? it's his despair. Uh, it's his tension um, that I think really gets to the heart of the story. And especially whereas I think there's a lot of focus and attention, like you said, on you know, Reagan's torment and everything that happens to her throughout the course of the story. But especially this is more the case in the novel. Uh, but throughout the, the novel, it's Karis' discussions, especially with uh, Kinderman, uh, the police lieutenant, that really kind of becomes the narrative of the problem of evil. How, is there so, how can there be a, a loving God, yet there is so much suffering in the world? And, and I think also what Blatty does very well is kind of crystallize a moment, and not to go meta here, but you know, in, in the early 70s and really more the mid-60s and through, through the Catholic lens, through the Second Vatican Council, you really have this paradigm shift. And I know this is a little overly simplistic, but you could argue for, for the better part of 600 years leading up to the middle of the 20th century, pretty much the vast majority of Christianity, not just Catholicism, but Protest, both the Orthodox Church as well as in the Protestant traditions, the primary selling point of Christianity was the fear of hell. You join up. You become a good little Christian soldier, so you don't go to hell. But throughout the course of the 20th century, and I could isolate it to both Hiroshima and to the final solution, to the camps, that we mm -hmm. prove to ourselves that we can create our own hell very well all on our own. And so what does that do to the proposition of religion, of organized religion, and Christianity in particular? when the idea of, of another world, of something out of Dante, isn't really the, the imminent threat when a mushroom cloud is. Um, and so I think, you know, Blatty's novel and later on this, in the movie itself really kind of delves into that in a very visceral way. Um, so. Well, and not to... Uh, not to propaganda. So. Well, not, not to mention the uh, fact that... Uh, what you were saying before about Damien Karras as the main character, the fact that he is the one who has the large uh, character arc in the story going from a place of skepticism, doubt, being torn between two worlds to ultimately making the act of self-sacrifice, you know, and f facing down the demon firsthand, quite literally. Um, hmm. Yeah, but... Um, who uh, who wants to take a bite at what uh, Father Brian just said? Well, you know, it's kind Katie, of interesting. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, it's kind of an interesting uh, study in uh, how movies themselves do have sort of a way of making like sense when you really look at the uh, larger scope of the actual movie. Like uh, Father Ryan was saying, you know, the um, that basically, yes, the father in this movie... Uh, is indeed the main character, like pretty much the main character who has got the largest character arc, even though we technically see three different perspectives uh, with it throughout the movie. You know, we have someone who is skeptical, you know, losing their faith, you know, which many upon many people within any form of organized religion 
you know, Christianity, Catholicism, you know, whatever, you, you know, whatever you believe in, there's always going to be that bit of skepticism, you know, you know, of what's real and what's fake and all that stuff, you know, what's logical, not logical. But he also has the logic of the real of uh, science behind him. But even then, you know, that doesn't really help him, you know, explain a lot of what's going on, you know. And then, of course, you have the mother who basically has no faith whatsoever, basically lives in the world, you know, and lives for herself, you know, while trying to provide for her family and all that stuff, you know, has a broken marriage, you know, is basically out filming a film, you know, somewhere I, I completely forgot where the movie was filmed, but, you know. Georgetown. Um, thank you. Um, oh, jeez, got my phone. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, then, of course, it's interesting to note also how the daughter herself, you know, is playing with a Ouija board, you know, or a witch board, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, and all that stuff. And people are going to be thinking like, aha, aha, that's the connection. There's the Satanism right there. It's witchcraft, I tell you. I know not to stake. But yet, reality is, again, evil comes in many forms, and we sometimes do create our own hells, you know, which I think is actually a great analogy, actually. But, of course, you know, towards the end, you know, with the self-sacrifice, you know, I really felt that, you know, a lot of people would use this, you know, within a way of uh, spreading the gospel in a way, you know, to say that Father Marin, you know, basically was, you know, throughout the whole movie, you know, basically, he's going to tell me, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. Fine, towards the end of the movie, he's all of a sudden, take me instead! Boom, out the window, down a flight of stairs. Or, boom, he is dead. And he dies for Reagan, you know, for Reagan instead of Reagan dying, you know, because of um, Pazuzu, which, you know, we find out in part two is actually the name of this said demon, but yet, you know, what's interesting, though, is the fact that this movie was based on an actual cases within, I believe, the church itself, you know, that they was a young man in Baltimore, and the family yes. moved to St. Louis. Um, there's any, just a super quick, it was, it was in the late forties and he was actually grew up in a Lutheran family and the, the Ouija board that you mentioned, cause in the book, there's kind of two theories as to how the demon, uh, comes in one mm -hmm. is through the Ouija board and the other is through, uh, Carl, the, I don't say housekeeper, but, uh, because the couple that sort of minds the house for the McNeils. That ah. insinuates that he's doing like some Teutonic rites up in the uh, attic, and it, it gets real nebulous ah. details. But about that. in the um, in the story that Blatty very loosely based the story after, um, there was a young man, and there was an aunt in the house who uh, was kind of part of the spiritualist movement, which is like a, a precursor to the New Age movement, and yeah. she had a Ouija board. And so it was it's this Lutheran family who kind of attributed that to what became very strange behavior of this young man. And so they went to their Lutheran minister who said, this is not in our wheelhouse. Go find a Catholic. And so they went to a nearby parish. Um, long story short, they end up taking uh, the young man to an Alexian Brothers Hospital. They try an exorcism there, but the kid reaches underneath the mattress and takes out a spring and slashes the priest's arm. And so that arm uh, was uh, 
lame for the remainder of his life. Uh, so the family ended up moving to St. Louis where there were Jesuits who were part of Washington University because Jesuits run colleges at the same Illuminati conspiracies. Yeah. Internet joke. Uh, so um, that, that was probably way too much background than you really wanted. Well, no, that's, oh, it's, no, no. no that's, that's important. It's, oh, the, no. it's the context. Which, uh, specifically, that was the uh, Roland Doe case of 1949 that Blatty was interested in. And that, and that was a young boy rather than a young girl. But it's the same... Right. A lot of the same uh, occurrences that were yeah. reported in that case, um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's. It's also uh, one other is if we're talking about context, uh, one other thing to point out is that this movie, well, the book was 1971, movie was 1973, and then uh, previously you had Rosemary's Baby, which was in '68, and they explicitly referenced the famous Time magazine cover from 19. 19- 66 is God dead, which was sort of a symbol of the then increasingly secularized uh, society as Time magazine. If you actually read that article, that's not really what it's about, but that's a non <laughs> He was an MIT well, no, professor, so sorry. Yeah, well, no, it's you're right, though. You're right. It's not, it's it's a deliberately uh, what we now know as a clickbaity yes. uh, title, it's, it's a, but uh, analog clickbait. Exactly, analog form of it. But bottom line is that it's uh, that certainly was the context in which Polanski was trying to go for it in Rosemary's Baby just a couple years before. Uh, and then you have a movie like The Exorcist, which kind of comes at the, uh, shall we say, the death knell of the hippie movement. Uh, and you have it as this very chaotic time, this movie comes out which really is about laying these issues of faith down on the table in the most visceral, uh, out there, you know, way possible. So it really is a sign of the times, but it also is kind of, uh, to go from the context that Father Brian was saying, that it kind of uh, helps to lay out the fact that this is a signal of where society is at that particular time, and then it kind of uh, helps to set the tone for you know, the way people think about, uh, well, faith, but also uh, the issue of demons and evil and that kind of stuff in the future. Um, let's see. Now, Much like, may, uh, I ask, yes. uh, may I ask, yes, Father, uh, when did you uh, first see the film? Well, my, I saw my first snippets, and I was just thinking about this when Dane said it wasn't, he was 18 when he saw it. I saw my first snippets when I was maybe like six or seven years old. And my older brother and cousin were watching it. And I didn't really know what to make of it. And they, they chased me out of the room. But I'd only seen a couple of scenes that even just those little snippets that I saw, with, that, with no real context, just scared the bejesus out of me. And, and, I can, and for like a six or seven year old, kind of in a <coughs> way, like, damn. And um, in terms of actually seeing the whole thing, thing probably 16 or 17 although ironically i ended up seeing exorcist 3 because it would happen to be in the new release of the blockbuster uh and by the way for those of you who don't know blockbuster was a chain of vhs rental stores uh, and for those who don't know, VHS, I, I remember. But 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 Father Brian, you meant that we had to leave the house? 
I know. <laughs> and, and if, oh, and if, and and if the physical cassette was not in the store, you couldn't watch the movie. Uh, oh my goodness. So oh. I remember, so I, I grabbed it and knowing, just remember just a, a thumbnail sketch because I think for most people, even if you've never seen the movie, you know the story. I mean, it's so ingrained into the, the fiber of the pop culture. Oh, uh, yes. So I threw in. I think that kind of works against it. And I guess, and now that I'm, my memory's being jarred, I think I did see little snippets of the second one, like on USA Network back in the day. Damn, was that awful. I mean, it's Oh, pretty, boy, terrible. Well, because, like, obviously the first one is early 70s. The other one is real funk, funk 70s. We're talking yeah. bell bottoms and sideburns and, and mm-hmm. really bad ass. With, Somebody with, by a train? What is that? That would oh, that would be Andrew. Sorry. Oh, like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I live next to. You're also station. very, very soft. Uh, uh, so speak more into your phone when you. Who me? Well, uh, um, no, I think he's talking about me. Oh. He said that yep. Exorcist Two is also 70, uh, 1977 with uh, James Earl. Does James Earl Jones's other uh, big movie okay. that year? <laughs> Um, Which, Katie, ironic um, a- although again this is a bit of a tangent i think exodus 3 is so underrated and for, for those who don't know exodus 2 was just warner brothers doing a cash grab and oh so yeah well, well, three was the only one that got a shout factor well, to do with it. plus linda blair was kind of a sex symbol at that time so uh so Hard kind of but Wait, she was 18 in uh, the second one. Yeah. Yeah, the second uh, one. Like, you say so, I guess. I'm not exactly surprised, but I won't go into that. The freaking <laughs> tells the story that he was working on some movie ed- in an editing bay. This is back before the days of Final Cut. And so you, film editing bays were these huge beasts of machine. And so Warner Brothers had like four or five in New York. And they had just finished cutting Exorcist 2, like a couple of doors down. And someone, hey, you want to see it? He's like, hey, for shits and giggles, why not? And so they kind of show him like a random scene where they are in the wheel. And he's like, is this a parody? Is this a joke? <laughs> and but so anyways, as an aside, but um, this one, but Exodus three, if you have not seen it, uh, it was written and directed by Blatty, and and so I consider that the true sequel to uh, the Exorcist because he had written a book called Legion, which um, so the character played by uh, Leo G. Carroll, no, what's his, who plays Kenderman in the first one? Is it? Dj Kyle. Thank you. Um, and so George C. Scott plays that character. And just as, again, a useless uh, tangent, uh, Blatty is convinced that the character of Columbo is based off of Kinderman. Huh. Um, again, useless little side thing there. But so Exodus is about, focuses on, on Kinderman. Um, and, and it also kind of gets in the same thing with the problem of evil and you know how can there be a loving God and yet there's so much... Uh, heartache and evil in the world and so it's, it's that he so he revisits that that tension that popular apology katie why don't you Hi. tell us uh tell us a little bit about the, um when you first saw 
um, the well, exorcist. I think you guys might remember I talked previously about like my mom had the list of of things that were horrible, and mm-hmm. the exorcist fell on that list along with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a Ouija board and that kind of stuff. Uh, she saw the movie, I think, when it came out. You know, it scared the crap out of her um, mm-hmm. because she was very Catholic and um, and believed that. And I think it just really spoke to her on a level that, um, you know, because she believed in those things, this was like the ultimate scare factor. Um, so I was brought up my whole life that, you know, we stayed away from The Exorcist. That wasn't uh, a movie that we watched. So I just, by the time I cared to even think about watching it, it had become such a piece of pop culture that I felt like I didn't really need to watch it. So I kind of never watched it in its entirety until preparing for this podcast. Um, really? And I'm kind of like, I heard Dustin talking about it earlier, and I'm kind of with him in that it didn't have a very strong effect on me um, in the sense of the, the actual, you know, demonic possession and all that kind of stuff, because um, as a kid who was raised Catholic too, I think had I seen the movie as a child or even a teenager, it probably would have scared me in a different way than it does now. The only part that really um, spoke to me where it was like, I could relate and feel afraid was the mother who cannot help her child. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the most um, impactful part of the film for me as a mom of a daughter, very close in age to Reagan. Um, I could totally see just the horror of being in that situation where my child is struggling and I can't do anything to help her and the desperation of the mom character. You know, I really related to that. And anytime I see that in a horror movie, because it touches me on a very deep level, it scares me. So I can see how a a very religious person would be scared by that, um, the exorcism uh, aspect of the film, but that didn't scare me at all. To me, it was just, you know, a story. That, that that always touched that always like affected me too, even when I was a kid when I first saw the movie, because like, you know, I used to joke that Ellen Burson kind of overacts or in the film a little bit. I thought they all overacted. Oh yeah, they do. But eventually you realize, well shit, this mom has put her kid through a battery of tests. Mm-hmm. And this is the seventies. This is not two thousand seventeen where we're used to over-medicating our kids and, you know, putting them through a ton of allergy tests to determine that they have, you know, 5 million food allergies. You know, this is the 70s where, you know, you didn't, that sort of thing just didn't happen. Your kid was crazy or they were saying they were healthier. There was free-range parenting back then. Say what? Free-range parenting. Yeah, exactly. So for her kid to suddenly go from one thing to be completely different I could understand like why her mom would be upset and freaked out and then to go to all these supposed experts and none of them can tell her what's wrong with her daughter for her to finally go to Father Karras and to be like, oh, Christ, won't someone help me? And yeah, we watched it last night. He fell asleep and I was still up watching it like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I forgot how scary this movie could be. Well, if I, if I may interject. <laughs> I, fully I fully agree with the falling asleep. Yeah. If I if I make <laughs> more about I, that in a minute. Yeah, if I may quickly interject, um, the, uh, the, some of the scenes besides I I uh, it's interesting on this watch through again, 
I found myself, I and I did this one the first time I saw it, there are certain scenes I kept rewinding because I loved them so much, like anything having to do with uh, Possessed Reagan, I always found it really just captivating whenever they, he, she and uh, and uh, Damien Karras could just talk. I don't know, I always loved those scenes, how they're written, how they're acted, all that. Um, but the thing is that, uh, a couple things, one, uh, having been in a lot of, uh, having been subject to a lot of medical tests in my time and, you know, a lot of very, well, a lot of invasive, a lot of uh, really uh, scary medical procedures for a child, um, I could really relate to uh, to Reagan and those scenes and especially like uh, how, I know how scary that is for a child. Um, you know, when you're not feeling well and, you know, the fact that the adults keep telling you this is supposed to help you and you don't want it, but you have to do it anyway, which in her case, it's obviously, you know, for other reasons. But I feel like that's an aspect of the film that isn't really touched on is the medical uh, horror aspect of it, which is, again, such a it's a relatively minor thing, but it's nonetheless uh, important especially being stuck in a test tube exactly being stuck in a test tube yeah. watch don't think I, about from reagan's perspective the fact that she knew that something was going on not just the medical aspect but that she could feel within herself yeah something was changing something was taking her over like remember when sharon calls karis over when he finally realizes this is not a psychiatric issue this child might well be possessed when he sees the help me written yeah. on the stomach from inside. Yeah. Right still there. And there's also oh, an yeah. interesting subtext in that, you know, when you talk about the idea of demonic possession, the idea of an exorcism, like, oh, that's so backwards. We're so, so, so much more enlightened now. But when you see these yeah. medical procedures being done, the question is, are we? Exactly. With the procedures, um, like all of those, I thought were like just really silly. Like it reminded me of that South Park episode where, um, like Butters thinks he's seeing, Butters thinks he's seeing Cartman as a ghost, but Cartman is really there the whole time. And yeah, like, they, just, you know, they, just, they just ignored him, but he thought he was dead. That was a good yeah, episode. Exactly. And so they have him like in those like big test machines. Don't worry, whatever traumatized your son, we'll find out. And it's like this huge thing that's like probing him and like shaking him around in the air. And it's like. Each of those testing scenes was just as goofy as that was for me. Like I didn't, I didn't get any sense of tear off them whatsoever. I don't know. Oh, about, see, I maybe was not. the exact opposite. I yeah. could, I was just, I was mom watching my baby get, you know, poked with a needle and uh -huh. messed with, like how they show her watching through the window. Like, oh, I was so there. That was the, that was the scariest. Thing for me for the whole movie <laughs> and, I, and I was I was used to being the kid on the table getting poked and prodded and all that so I could relate there uh, just to just quickly get back uh, the second point I was gonna make with the quote-unquote overacting from Ellen Burstyn who I, I really love her I think she's a great actress uh, one of the the point that I've made in the past uh, I think it's well worth repeating here um, I feel like in movies that we're so used to wanting very understated, very kind of quiet, deliberate delivery of lines. You know, when in fact, if, if something terrifying is happening to you in real life, you are not worried about your composure. You're not worried about 
you know, looking at the camera, having the one tear go down your face, nothing like that. You're losing your mind. You know, you are freaking out. And people gave a lot of crap to uh, Heather, oh, I think Heather Donahue, I think her name was, for uh, the Blair Witch Project. She won Worst Actress, uh, which was completely undeserved. But it's like, I feel like in many ways, like uh, in real life, if you are literally at the end of your rope, you are not caring about any shred of dignity or uh, understatement left for the camera because especially like in that case of a mother and her child, it's like, I know from my own, again, from being the kid in on the table getting tested and you see your parents and, you know, there is not an attempt to be understated. It's like a very real, visceral, scary thing. So I, I feel like that's sort of a, the fault of the audience that too often we expect uh, that from our movie characters when in fact in real life uh, the exact opposite often occurs. And normally I, I thought, that, I thought like, but her performance was just laughable. I mean, like, she may as well have been wearing, like, the kabuki face paint. Like, it was so, you know, why did you hate me? And it was like, ugh. Oh, don't you know people like that? I mean, that type of person exists, though. I've seen people that behave that way. That's an actual personality. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what's hysteria. You know, it's, it's the kind of, well, not, I don't know if hysteria is the right word, but it's like the, it's, it's the kind of reaction that an aggrieved, at the end of her rope, not sleeping mother would have when her baby is but, clearly like, suffering. I would agree with you, but with Ellen Burstyn, there were some weird reactions that she would have. Not saying that she's a bad actress. I love her, I do. But like, let's say for example, when she first is told, that Burke, Burke Dennings has died. She, she just stands there like, what's my line? No, but Burke, she's told that Burke has died. And she's like, oh my God. And she's banging the wall. And then she sees her freaking daughter. Well, if you if you watch the uncut director's cut that we watch, um, she sees her daughter walking down the stairs, crab walking backwards, bleeding from her mouth. And her reaction is, oh my God. Yeah, that's that's why yeah, I, I only yeah. I only stuck with I only stuck with a theatrical version because that whole scene is doesn't do anything for the movie and the fact that Burke Dennings is dead is enough for that scene and they they were wise to cut it short especially because uh, the original version of the Spider Walk looks so dumb uh, yeah. that because uh, they they well they couldn't have made it work back in that era as great as the effects were for their time. Yeah, and for as wonderful as the fact that they were practical effects, like that one effect, they could not get to work. And even yeah. William Peter Blatty himself admitted that he felt like that was a fault in the in his own writing that you're having to you're expecting the audience to deal with a double climax, um, which I which is a I mean that's a good well, admission there, but I think they were wise to cut it short. Well, the theatrical well there's also just I had, to, I had to write a list of pros, like positive things to talk about in this, and that was the first one on here. So that's kind of sad if that wasn't actually in the theatrical one. Yeah, it wasn't. Go ahead. I, I think it became a bit of a red herring because if you look at the, her progression of the of her physical transformation, the spider walk is too premature in a way. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Quite mesh. But the other thing with Bert is that there was a very, very slight subtext that Bert might have been sexually abusing Reagan. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, yeah, because I was. That earlier. Yeah, oh, I was. I was gonna. I sent that link to a couple people. There's a link of uh, a person named Rob Rob Iger, I think his name is, and he does a whole video all about how there is that subtext in there, 
which he doesn't feel is necessarily intended by the filmmakers or by Blatty himself, even though there's evidence for it, whether accidental or subtly intentional. But and, uh, and not harping on this, but on the yeah, in the original yeah. the true story that was the impetus for this, there was also a connection that the aunt uh, might have actually been sexually abusing yeah. uh, the young man, because yeah. when he's at a Jesuit retreat house, when they're they're walking him on the Stations of the Cross, and it's the oh I should know this um, I think it's the ninth station, when when Jesus is stripped of his garments. And the young man just loses it, totally mm -hmm. just loses it and runs away. And almost, they, probably a little hyperbolic, that he almost runs off a cliff. Um, mm -hmm. So again, so I think that little connection there. Um, yeah, I think it's an, interest, it's an interesting dimension to the story for sure, which actually, interestingly enough, if you've ever seen anybody out there, if you've ever seen The Last Exorcism, uh, they actually make the whole abuse uh well it, it ceases to be a subtext it ceases to it's uh becomes one of the Regular main text. it becomes pretty yeah, explicit i remember yeah, that, i remember that i actually i enjoyed that um, I, I liked it up to the end i didn't like the ending but i uh i thought the ending was, the ending was pretty, i thought the ending was really appropriate um it was like oh wait there really was something going on okay cool like that surprised me and i i like I like pleasant surprises, so I'll I'll give the last exorcism some credit for that. But well, the, the point is there. It's in that movie. It ceased to be a subtext, and there it was. More. It wasn't during the last exorcism two, which then yeah. therefore made the first last exorcism the second to last exorcism. Yeah, there exactly. One? <laughs> yeah, there was a second one. Yeah, there was a second one. The ultimate exorcism. Yeah. Other than again, as we talked about before, they already had exorcists to the heretics of that, and that whole thrust of that movie is the idea that there's still some remnant of Pazuzu in her. Uh, so it's so it's like uh, that. I mean, in there, they already kind of undid the full significance of Father Baron and uh, Father Karras's actions. Which is but. why one of the many reasons why that's not to the extent that there is an exorcist canon that ain't in it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. KJ, we haven't heard from you yet. Um, <clears throat> what, uh, when did you first see the film? I don't know. I've watched that movie in parts, like kind of like in certain <laughs> points of my life. I've never sat down and watched that movie straight through. I've never did in my life. It scares the Jesus out of me. But I remember <laughs> it does. The first time I think the movie even came across <laughs> my radar was when I was like seven years old. I think my older friend, Devin, he's not my brother. He saw the movie with his brother and his cousin, and he told me, like, this is the scariest shit you've ever seen. And I was like, what? what? What's the name of it? He was like, it's called The Exorcist. And I was like, well, what's it about? About a girl who's being possessed. I'm like, well, okay. He was like, no, I'm serious, because his brother, for years, slept with a Bible after watching that movie. So when he told me that, I mean, I was just like, well, Jesus, wow, I don't get a real deal for a scary movie. So well, I saw, like, the first scene I saw that movie, because I caught, like, one day on TV when I was older. It was when Reagan's head started to spin around. I was like, oh shit, hell no, I'm not watching this right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, then, you know, just, you know, all the things in my life, you know, I just see small, you know, scenes of it, you know, like uh, when she's crawling down the stairs. I thought that was actually hilarious. But when she's crawling down the stairs, and then I think the one scene that really got me, I think it still gets me this way, is Jason Miller. When he's talking to her during, I think he's the voice of who was it, mother? I think. Um, 
that scene still like that's the scene that really gets me out of that movie. But I'll just make this short. I'm a really big fan of Bill Friedkin. So um, I have you know researched the movie, read trivia about the movie. Um, Interesting enough, I mean, he wasn't even the first person even considered to even direct the movie. I think Warner Brothers wanted Stanley Kubrick to make this. Yes, company. they did. And a couple that, of guys turned them down. I read that in trivia. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I, that, I can't that, even wrap my head around what that would be like. That would be. That would have been. It would have been cool. It would have been very different though, because it would have been a lot less spiritual. It would have been uh, substantially more pretentious. I guarantee that. Well, uh, be more Sam, inside uh, of a box, more or less. Well, I think. Kubrick. Also, think Kubrick no, no, Kubrick is my all-time favorite film director. But anyway, carry on. I think Kubrick being Kubrick, he just his ego being what it is compared, like what he did to The Shining or The exactly. Shining. What he did with The Shining I, is that. Um, I think he changed it just for the sake of kind of pissing on it and marking his own territory. And yep. I, I think so. He just and that's exactly why I don't like the shiny. Right. Um, <laughs> I think would have completely ruined the story, to be honest, not to say that what he made might have been brilliant and creative, but it wouldn't have been the story. It would have been yeah. something else entirely. But well, that's why it's, that's why it's Stanley Kubrick's the shining rather than Stephen King's the shining. Right. Actually, I can say I'm the only one in this group. I'm almost positive I'm the only one in this group who watched The Exorcist or was introduced to The Exorcist in the way that I was because I didn't watch The Exorcist until I was in my early 30s. Um, I think you and me will have a lot in common. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, my first introduction to The Exorcist was a comedy movie called Repossessed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin loved that one. And, you know, I mean, I still remember the scene where the guy goes in and he gets the Bible out of the vending machine. Um, but uh, I should see this. This sounds great. It was a, uh, I mean, to me, Repossessed was a great, uh, was a great spoof of it. But seeing the real one for the first time, it was fascinating. It was an experience, but it wasn't scary to me. What? Now, again, not at all. Because yep. I was I was older when I saw this. I think you really need to see this when you're younger because when you're younger, scares hold for you unlike they do any other way. Mm -hmm. I mean, shoot, I still get chills thinking about the Garfield Halloween special because that was scared me when I was a kid. <laughs> and so pirate ghost, I tell you. The pirate ghost. Me, it was the alligator in the pool and alligator, but okay, that works. Well, although, although, wouldn't you say, like, because, see, I, I, I would agree with that in the sense that, like, when you're younger, you're a lot easier to scare than when you're older. Uh, I guess for me also, I'm such a fan of horror in all of its various forms that I don't necessarily need to be scared by a horror film in order to find it good because I can find it interesting, I can find it informative or uh, thought-provoking or whatever, just like any other movie. And, um, uh, yeah. But again, that's that's such a relative term of what scares you because that varies across well, I think for some people, it's just a matter of like what reaches them on whatever yeah. level. And typically with horror, it scares. So is that kind of what you were thinking there, Septim? Or? Um, I, I did want to talk on your point because uh, you kind of cut me to the chase before I got to that point, which was, yeah, it doesn't scare me, but I also understand it for the art value. Mm -hmm. I look at, I look at uh, that one as very much a piece of art 
more than a piece of, uh, of scariness. Uh, I look at it like I look at, um, was it Rosemary? Not Rose, yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby also did not scare me, but it did fascinate me. Mm-hmm. But I, it's one of those that's a deeper movie that you have to sit there, you've got to look at it, and you've got to enjoy it. If you're not in the right mood for it, or you're not in the mood to actually sit there and study it like any art house film, uh, to me, that's the reason why I fell asleep the other night. I was sleepy. I wasn't able to hold it. But that doesn't mean it's not a good movie. It just means that it's a movie that takes more concentration to really take in. They 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 do sell special underwear for when you can't hold it, so just you might want to pick that up next time. <laughs> okay, I got to interject here. You know, um, I saw this movie when I was about 12 years old myself. And it did nothing for me. It actually, I mean, I've seen it 167 times, and it just keeps getting funnier every time I watch it. How could you endure it that many times? But but the thing is, um, you know, it's like I appreciate it for, again, you know, the art form that it had, but also just like, you know, again, I am a huge horror buff myself. I mean, I, I can pretty much sit here and quote, like, every single Evil Dead movie there is. You know, I can sit here and, um, hmm. you know, I've seen Hellraiser, I don't even know how many times. You know, which I always thought was actually, in my opinion, was actually legitimately a lot scarier than The Exorcist. No kidding. But, <laughs> although when I was a kid, one movie that did actually kind of scare me a little bit was actually Poltergeist. Yes, uh, that scared because- me to death. Because, well, for me... Oh, the clowns. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much the clowns for me. It was more or less just like the actual presence of spirits and things moving around. Because when I was a kid, I would see a lot of weird shit. I would see, like, dark, shadowy figures at night, you know, just walking around my house. And, you know, I would never know where where they came from. You know, I always felt chills in rooms... You know, I get always, and like even to this day, I still feel like the presence of spirits everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff. So, like with Poltergeist, it actually had a little more resonance with me because this was something I was actually going through in my own life. Whereas with The Exorcist, it's kind of like I could sit here and I could watch it, and I can appreciate some of the um, like where they actually got some of the source material from. You know, because it actually helps you really delve into the, you know, delve more into the studies of, um, you know, how far back does this actually go? What's even more funnier is the film Beyond the Door. Exactly. But uh, also, just uh, very quickly, I like that you referenced uh, Beetlejuice there with the 167 times thing. (laughs) (laughs) I I caught that. Nice. Also, I want to agree with you, too, on um, your mention of Poltergeist, too. Like, I thought that did the spiritual themes way, way, way more effectively and interestingly than Exorcist did. Well, it did it in a much more, uh, shall we say, non-denominational way, in a much more... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it, was less, it, was less, it was less specifically... Browbeating? Yeah. yeah. But also, it's kind of when interesting... I... Oh, I was about to say that you know, Poltergeist and The Exorcist actually both share similar um, onset stories, if you mm-hmm. will. 
Um, for instance, Steve, when um, there was actually a huge fire that actually destroyed the um, one of the sets, mm-hmm. you know, that they were filming on, much like on Exorcist, you know, where it's like it was actually cheaper to use real human remains, you know, the skeletons of the pool, yep. versus you know plastic ones, which I thought. That's kind of kind of ironic, actually. Yeah. Well, not not to mention the fact that it's a little girl in distress in some form, and well, and the fact that the head poltergeist, the lead evil spirit. Yeah. We only know as the beast, which that could just be its name, or obviously the beast as we know is another word for. Uh, the devil, or if you want that, to talk yeah. about that, was right. my favorite part of Exorcist. Like I yeah. thought, it was far, far more well written and effective than anything we saw in Exorcist. Like period. Like that moment has stuck with me. Where oh, yeah. everything in Exorcist just felt completely flat on its face. Like it was. Anyway, I'll let you finish, and then I'm I'm gonna go. But even, um, even oh. uh, <laughs> you could kind of getting riled up increasingly. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. <laughs> But um, what's really interesting, though, is the fact that, you know, the scene where they walk in and they're seeing their breaths in the room. Mm. I mean, they literally had like this huge refrigeration system. And I think that was actually that was actually the set that actually was the one that burned down because of that thing. But I mean, it was literally that freaking cold in the room. It wasn't like, right. you know, you but couldn't the problem use CGI. The, the reason why the fire is because of the lights. And yes, they can only film for like I think ninety minutes at a time because the heat from the lights yeah. overrode the refrigeration, mm-hmm. and so they had to turn off the lights, wait for it to cool down again. And obviously, in today's methodology, they would just oh, see yeah. guy the breath in, and it would be a non-issue. But yeah, was- back then, it, you had to do it live. You had to do it analog. Oh, yeah, you had to do it all practical. Yeah, which you know? well, and that's that's one of the things I thought was so magical about it was that you had an actual cold set. It was practical. Yeah, yeah with with a actual bed on hydraulics, you could actually shake the room. You know, the the actors' faces were getting were getting cold and frozen. Yes. You know, all of that stuff, and it and it all shows in the performance. Oh. The, remember, the, I was the only that. little the only little thing I would say that I did notice a couple times was and again this is in the pre CGI days if you notice in one shot uh, you can actually see the hose uh, that where the pea soup is gurgling out yeah uh, yeah that's but again this is in pre CGI days and you're so invested in the scene that you probably wouldn't even notice it but it's one of those little things you notice upon repeat viewings kind of like the the Halloween goofs that you see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you fight to keep your eyes open. Yes. Well, and also speaking of repeat scenes, the one scene where Reagan is like tearing her room apart and throws her mother up against the wall. That was actually real. Mm -hmm. Apparently what happened was the hoist system they had was way stronger than they originally anticipated. And she actually did have to wear a back brace throughout the rest of the filming of the movie. Yes. And it's her back up for life. Yeah, she like, Oh, not what cool. happened though was they did a, a, a rehearsal and she complained that this thing is way too strong and, and went to free. Yeah. I don't think you realize. And she, he says, "Oh, of course, of course, we'll be extra gentle." And then he goes and gives the. Um, I guess is that the best boy or whoever the yeah. in charge yeah. of, uh, kind of gives a wink and a nudge, and so he pulled twice as hard just to get this very raw reaction from her. 
and she yeah. was well and when uh, uh when father Karras, when he hears the phone, <laughs> the phone ring all of a sudden when he's listening to the tape uh loop back uh freaking fired off a gun on set to get a startled reaction from him yeah yeah it's uh well because freaking william freaking he had no uh restraints about his own behavior as long as he got the shot like he he tied Mercedes McCambridge, who dubbed uh, the demon's voice, tied her to a chair. Oh, yeah. She chain smoked. She drank. You know, and, yeah, drank whiskey, chain smoked. Yeah. Just to get that really nasty kind of voice. Yeah. Well, no, there's, was, there's never. Well, I suppose. I mean, I like those. Never been, keep, well, and keep in mind that uh, I've heard, because I, I watched, uh, there's a great video actually on YouTube about the initial scene where we first hear Possessed Reagan's voice. Uh, there's a great video on YouTube where you hear the before and the after, where you hear the onset audio from, uh, from Linda Blair, and then you hear yeah. the, the finished cut. And uh, it's kind of interesting because it's like really funny when you hear just the onset audio, this cute little girl in this horrifying makeup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, well, but then again, because I've heard people say, "Oh, well, it would have been creepier if the little girl voice had been used." No, it wouldn't have. No. And also, well, and also keep in mind that was before anybody had ever heard like an actual movie demon voice before that they were pioneering yeah. that stuff. So, you well, know, it, it did create an interesting kind of ethical dilemma because Linda Blair received an Oscar nomination yeah. for the performance. And apparently, Mercedes McCambridge was kind of like, um, well, you know, that was my performance, too. Yeah. yeah. That's what cost her for winning, basically. Yeah, uh, which, but the two, of, but the two of them together, so uh, they work in concert really, really well. And you have to oh, give yeah. it up. You have to give it up to Linda Blair for being such a trooper for throughout that whole thing, because she's getting knocked around. You know, oh, yeah. on the, the harness uh, when she's like, stop, it's burning. And she's actually yeah. getting yanked like crazy. Yeah. She's got so layers. She got injured on that. Um, yeah. You got, she's got layers of makeup on. She's got contact lenses. She's got the hose mm -hmm. in her mouth to make the, the pea soup uh, vomit come out. I mean, she... God, I've never been able to look at it this same yeah. ever since. Real quick, just to talk about Linda, because it's actually interesting how she got casted. Because, yeah. Um, Mike Nichols said the one reason why he didn't do the movie was because he didn't think any girl could actually pull that off, the character and all. So Bill Freak can try, you know, girls who were older and look younger and everything. And so he said Linda's mom came in. He, he brought Linda with her. And he said that he didn't want the movie to do anything as far as, you know, mess her up for the rest of her life. So, you know, he just started to ask her questions like, you know, you know what the exorcist is? Have you, you know, read the book or anything? And she told him, yeah, and she gave him, you know, her explanation of the book. And so he asked her because she told him about the crucifix. She was like, he was like, do you know what it means to masturbate? And she was like, well, yeah. She was like, it's when you jerk off. She's like, don't you do it? And he <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, although, although, uh, in, behind, well, in, the, in behind the scenes, though, she didn't know what she was doing. She just had the uh, crucifix in like with like a little box between her legs full of corn syrup is what it was. <laughs> Which we haven't even touched on that scene, which is hands down. Oh my down God! Place. Yeah, well, that's. Wondering if someone was going to bring that up. Yeah, I no, have, a, I have a list. Forever. I am ready yeah. to address that scene. <laughs> yeah, oh, I thought. Geez. Oh. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought that was easily one of the most disturbing moments of the movie. I thought it was totally ridiculous. Like I laughed so hard at that. Like that entire scene was just. 
it felt like an SNL skit. Like, I thought I was watching a comedy skit. It was so crazy. Like, I can't believe anyone reacted like as strongly as they supposedly did to that. Well, come on, Dustin. Think about it. 1973 was a different time. People yeah, hadn't seen the things that, that we've seen in 1973. Well, and people have, you know, religious convictions, and that sort of thing is quite disturbing, uh, shall we say. Well, let alone the, what's biologically going on as well. Oh, well, I guess. I mean, well, uh, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like that. If you're used to, you know, giant, like we said before, giant ants from outer space, and then also you see a, you know, a prepubescent girl masturbating with a crucifix and stabbing herself in the crotch, screaming, uh, let Jesus fuck you. That and then, of course, also fun. hearing, your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> even more funny aspect of grabbing the mother's head and shoving it between your legs and saying, lick me, lick me. I mean, that's, that was the most was disturbing funny. part of the fil uh, film for, uh, for me. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I first uh, saw the uh, uh, film, I also saw it on a ripped VHS t uh, tape, probably from Blockbuster, because I grew up in that age era uh, where VHS <laughs> was the thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I saw um, it beta somewhere. <laughs> I, uh, uh, see, my, my mother beta was, was a also better picture, very... all right? It was, actually. <laughs> My mother was also very religious. She wouldn't even let me watch Home Alone. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah. Um, my, so, mom, uh, so, my mom said to never see The Exorcist. I had to my mom's sneak, an idiot. I had to all of my, I had to sneak all of my horror f uh, f uh, film wa uh, watching, and when I finally saw it, I was around including uh, that 16, horrific, 17. including that horrifically satanic Home Alone. <laughs> oh, good God! I had I snuck over to a friend's pl uh, 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 place just to go see uh, see it. That is so sad. Like, oh my God. I'm gonna but, hug uh, you next time I see you. <laughs> but it's it's just hilarious. Uh, some of the films that she wouldn't allow me to see, uh, see and then uh, the films that she did allow me to see. So it's it, it, it's like. Uh, will you make up your fucking mind? But in in any case, um, when I saw the f uh, film the first time, I was very young, and it 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 it, it scared me at the t uh, uh, time. But as I see it now, you know, it, it's more funny and comical than you know uh, than it was when I was a child. Of uh, you know. Um, the scene that resonates the most uh, to me in the f uh, film myself is the scene where, um, especially w uh, that scene when the mother um, is uh, right before she brings the priest in. Uh, um, uh, what, uh, that scene where uh, uh, she, she pretty much gets her head rubbed in, in her crotch. You know, uh, you know that's kind of like the uh, downwards. Uh, uh, downward spi uh, spiral that the mother see uh, sees it, uh, that it's not her child, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm. Uh, another scene that resonates with, uh, with me is the, uh, the part where the, uh, where the priest um, uh, is explaining that, um, <coughs> uh, that exor uh, exorcisms, we just don't do that anymore in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, uh, 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 that's, 
I mean, he was referring to uh, to the t uh, times, uh, uh, you know, of the uh, the Crusades and what uh, whatnot. You know, they just don't do do you know that kind of a, bar a barbaric um, well, when, uh, a practice uh, anymore. One scene that uh, Father Brian and I have talked about a few times, uh, which I I kind of wish was in the film somewhere. I think it would have hurt the pacing if they had put it in there, but I do think it's an essential piece of the theology aspect of it is the deleted scene of after the first round of exorcism is done and they take a break in the finished in the finished cut. It's just them just taking a breather, which that is effective in and of itself. But in the deleted scene, it's just an extended version of that. And um, Father Karras says, why this girl? It doesn't make any sense. And Father Marin says that he thinks that it's to for, it's a way for the demon to allow, to, to, yeah, to uh, to see us humans as animal and ugly to doubt the possibility that God could love us, and uh, I do kind of wish that that could have been in there somewhere, but again, I do think it might have hurt the pacing, and that's might have been why they took it out. But that was that, on the one I saw. Yeah. Oh, okay. They must have added that. I didn't see the version. You've never seen. I've only seen the theatrical. It was. Cut. But Mine yeah. was just a director's cut. Like I thought that was really heavy-handed. Like I didn't. Yeah. Was this was the first time that I'd actually seen the uh, the version that you've never seen. I've uh, I've always seen the uh, the theatrical cut. So when they came across the uh, the moment where she's crawling down the staircase, uh, that kind of freaked me out for a moment because uh, 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 that was not in the thea uh, theatrical cu uh, cut. <laughs> but the lone redeeming quality, <laughs> you know. Uh, but um, um, and. I actually thought that um, the uh, the reason why uh, the girl was possessed was because of whatever the um, professor or or the uh, the uh, the priest uh, that was at the dig in the beginning uh, when he dug up that whatever he uh, he dug up. Oh yeah, that, I think that why, I, I thought that was why the girl had gotten possessed because because uh, somehow that uh, that had. Fun into act, uh, action, the demon within the child. They did a really crummy job of tying that to the rest of the movie. Like when I first saw See, it, I was like, "What the hell is the point of this?" Like that's what they might have sort of had him like buying a beginning. It made no sense. Was yeah. well, it's, 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 no, it's in there. It's visual. Yeah, the they took. Um, they're in Nineveh. Yeah, where Jonah uh, preached. So there's a little tie-in there. Well, that and the fact that it it is tied in is just visual because it's uh, you have the Pazuzu head, the little small head. You see the full statue, which has uh, the wings, the face. It has a snake, snake phallus, snake phallus and and you notice the fact that whenever when he's in the presence of it, you hear chaos surrounding it, like with the dogs, with uh, the ominous figures surrounding him. And I love the shot with. Him standing on the one end, the Pazuzu statue on the other end, but uh, it's what's well, a thematic foreshadowing for for what's to come, but also the fact that it is planting the seeds of chaos uh, and you know the the presence of evil right there. Plus, also the uh, necklace that he finds, not from the same period, which you find then uh, Damien Karras is wearing, and uh, that's where uh, Reagan at the very end leaves it with Father Dyer. 
you know, so it's again, it's it's very clever visual planting of these thematic uh, aspects that get paid off later. It's it is very subtle, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Father Brian, isn't it a little bit more explicit in the book as to what those things are? Yeah, and going back to the conversation on the stairs in, in the book, that that conversation is fleshed out much more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, the character of Father Marin is based off of a real Jesuit named Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, uh, who's the Divine Milieu is a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book, and so is the uh, the Phenomenon of Man. But um, but Teilhard's struggle was that you could accept humanity as an idea, as a concept, but then there's actually getting along with people, mm-hmm. and that was one of his great struggles: is that he just could. He despaired because he couldn't love people because people really drove him up the wall, um, mm-hmm. and and so Blatty kind of took a lot of you know some of what Teilhard had written in his journal. In fact, um, you know as you know, Max von Sydow was in his forties when he got the role, and so they had to age him with uh, aesthetically, and they had a, a picture of Teilhard in the the makeup chair, and they very specifically m- tried to make him look like. Uh, Chardin. Uh, and they, they did a great job because uh, they really aged him up really well and if you actually look at video footage of him years and years later he looks pretty much the same yeah um, <laughs> even though he was like, how he looked in the movie then. exactly because again he was only 44 at the time and if you if you want to see something interesting if you do watch Exorcist 2 you see some flashbacks of Father Marin and, and Max von Sydow uh, reprises his role and he does look a whole lot younger because guess what he wasn't actually you know 70 or 80 years old you know so they were able to pull that off well well and of course there's not one but two movies yes to father Marin's first uh tango with pazuzu mm-hmm. that sounds like that sounds like a um that sounds like a traditional uh, spanish uh Tango album, Tango's with Pazuzu. Buy it now. <laughs> all, all I think of is that, like, that thing drama where the professor has like the gargoyle named Pazuzu. That's all I remember with Pazuzu. Well, it's kind of interesting when you bring up like two separate movies like that, you know, um, it's kind of like, oh, what was it? It was, um, oh, let me think here. Let's see, it was Revenge, Return, Revenge, Curse of um, Michael Myers or Halloween Mm -hmm. 6. There were two completely different versions of that movie where you have the producer's cut and then you have the theatrical cut. Okay, Okay, where it's like, it's two completely different movies and neither one of them make a lick of sense whatsoever. Although technically... Pick your poison. uh, (laughs) That's why why, as far as I'm concerned, Halloween 4, if you would ever do not exist. Well, see, that's why I call four through six the Pink Panther series. Yeah, you really look at it. Okay, you got the return of Michael Myers, uh-huh. the revenge of Michael Myers, and then the curse okay, of Michael yes. Myers. Well, except for the, the fact, that it, except for the fact, that if you look at the Pink Panther uh, filmography, that doesn't entirely match up. That's what James Rolfe said, but it doesn't entirely match up. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I got the reference. Of, but when you look at both of the movies, it's kind of like. They're literally the Exorcist 2 of the Halloween series. Like, it's literally, like, people thought part 3 was confusing. And, like, you watch part 6, it's like, what in God's name? It's like, like, literally, there were so many scenes in there 
that were so wrong on so many levels in the producer's cut. Okay, you've got, first and foremost, first offense of that movie, you had incest. Okay, you got young Riley as the mother of Michael Myers' child. Okay, being controlled by a cult known as the Thorn Cult. And somehow you see this stupid thorn symbol throughout four and five. And oh, you mean Danny? Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, so like you see this thorn symbol throughout four and five, like symbolically, you know, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, part five, you know, we have a man dressed all in black. Who is he? Years later, we get the sequel that basically was just like the precursor to Busta Rhymes whooping Michael Myers' ass. <laughs> and, um, which I thought, oh my god, this is so ridiculous. We Trick should treat, motherfuckers. Not to get too far off the off field here, but uh, we should talk about Halloween Resurrection sometimes just because it's so funny. But, um, oh. yeah, but, um, What's it? So Adam Green does a movie, a podcast called Movie Crypt, and back when I used to listen to it, that would be like a catchphrase gag that they'd have: <laughs> "Trick or treat, motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> whenever um, they wanted to, whenever they wanted to emphasize that something was really, really bad, they would just use that. Yeah, which while yeah. we got you, while we got you, uh, Dustin, you wanna uh, dive in? Prepare yourselves. So, oh, um, so. I have tried to watch this movie on three separate occasions before this one. I have passed out cold each time. Like, oh. this movie works on absolutely everything everyone has mentioned. None of that stuff hits for me. This entire thing is just flat and boring and horrible, like, to me. Like, every time yeah. I've tried to watch it. Uh, I stayed awake for the, this time for you guys. Um, well, because, because I had you. Because and I was on us. I was on many stimulant drugs, which is why I'm so hyper. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Don't, don't do drugs, kids. They're bad. Oh, no, they're wonderful. Like, like, they make you happy inside. Do more drugs. Anyway. So, first things first, spirits in possession. <laughs> Not real. Sorry. Uh, second of all. Uh, where to even begin? So, this movie had such a reputation um, that I'd heard growing up. I saw it for the first time, I want to say 2012. And so imagine you haven't been able to go to the circus as a child. Like, you hear about how great the circus is, all the different acts there are. You know, there are acrobats, there are animals, there are elephants. Like, it's just the greatest thing ever. And then imagine you go to a circus for the first time, and the circus is literally a single drunken clown who's not even wearing the costume, and he just passes out right away. That's what seeing The Exorcist after all of the hype was like for me the first time. Like, it was just, wow, this is horrible. Um, like, I couldn't believe it had the reputation it had until hearing everyone else's stories. Like, I still didn't even believe it. Um, so just seeing it again, it was all kind of, it was kind of like that. I mean, I had some, I had to work really hard to write down a series of pros for the movie. Um, so let's see, the spider walk, which everybody seems to dislike, um, was pretty cool. I will give them that. Um, the first scene with the psychiatrist, like when she just like switches to demon voice and is like, fuck you guy, Urgh. like that was pretty funny. I liked that. Uh, I really liked the, like, the demon banter kind of stuff. It's like, you know, why can't you just undo the straps? 
that's far too vulgar a display of power. And I was like, okay, that's a cool line. Pantera used that for an album. Um, but then a minute later, I was like, wait a minute. Why can't you just fucking undo the straps? Why does it matter? <laughs> uh, you can't do it, can you? You don't have that power. Idiot. Uh, the music is wonderful. The music's really great. I like the music. Um, one of my favorite lines in there, I would say, was, I think it's before that guy gets like thrown down the stairs, he says something to the effect of, you know, ooh, it's hard to remember the exact quote, but it's like, if somebody hadn't gone, what's this fungus? We wouldn't have penicillin. As a biology person, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, one of the things that kind of, I did get scared exactly once during this movie. Um, there was this long, boring montage where he's just like listening to tapes and nothing happens for like five solid minutes and it's quiet. And then the phone rings and I was like, whoa, what's that? Oh, okay. That was the one scare. Jump scare. That was the whole scare. <laughs> Jump scares. On that, that, on that note, I'm just going to interject. Um, that room that he was actually in. Uh, 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 you have to Im imagine what it was like in the '70s with all the uh, all the, uh, all those clumpy-looking machines. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, it seemed like he was like in a uh, like an audio tape archive. Uh, was have, that where he I'm was? From, I'm from the late '80s, like early '90s. I remember because it because it almost looked like uh, he was sitting in something that would have been in a prison yeah. where it where you uh, talk to them like over the phone. It's like an audio-visual room. Before you... Yeah. Well, it was the early 70s, and, of course, the, the whole point of that thing is he has to be able to play it backwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when he says, I, I am no Wami, I am no one, which is a, a, a very, or kind of a perversion of Yahweh, I am who am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well another, also, uh, another thing see... I kind of took issue with, too, was um, I did a little bit of background reading on it, and Blatty wrote this thing as sort of a way to try, as a story to try and, like, promote Catholicism. Like, the entire thing is basically Catholic propaganda, and you can kind of see that with the, with the, with the end, with the message that it had. It's like, you know, don't trust science, trust us instead. Or, oh, she played with an, a Ouija board, you know, she's possessed now. And it was just really ham-fisted and, frankly, pissed me off um, once I realized it was there. Um, let's see. There were a lot of really funny moments. Like, everything that was supposed to be scary, I just, like, laughed at. Like, it was just so over the top. Like, it could not be taken seriously. Like, the crucifix and the head spin, it was just so, this is ridiculous. How can anybody, like, uh, I am convinced that people were less intelligent in the 70s. Like, not, really, not necessarily. Think about it. If you consider yourself to be a religious person uh, or a person of faith, and you see something like that, and you know that the exorcisms have been a thing that you know religions of all kinds have practiced in the, in the past. And that movie will scare the hell out of you. It did. It scared the hell out of me because once upon a time, I was a Christian fundy many years ago. <laughs> so well, it's, it's meant to be. It's meant to be like a reinforcement kind of reaction that you get to that. You know, it's like okay, they know they know your frame of mind. This is what they want to push on you, so they're going to give you anything that reinforces that. And so, <laughs> well, when you see something like that, I don't. 
I'm the priest here, and I don't get that at all. Yeah, um, I, I don't either. It's it's not a it's not a pure flicks well, movie. I think to bear in mind is for 1973. This is it's not as heavy handed as a pure flicks movie. I mean, pretty much the entire uh, canon of, of horror movies, you know, throughout the the late 70s and 80s. This is before uh, slasher films are, are mainstream, um, and so people, the audience at the time, had no very little baseline, with, with, with the exception of maybe something like Rosemary's Baby. Um, I thought that was pretty crummy too, frankly. And like, I I didn't get into that story. Like, well, I stayed I awake through it, but I, think I thought it was lousy too. It, well, I think you, there's a, a lot of, uh, it's kind of like when you finally get around to reading Highlands, the Puppet Masters, after you've seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your 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 current day prejudices and experiences with that which came after, you know, it's it's that and that's a little bit like what I was saying with uh, the last exorcism and things like that. It's like you know, you, uh, well, I was still I was still pretty good at this. I was still <laughs> drives drives away to escape. Um, you, you know what I mean? It's like you you see what came after and then you see what came before, and it can be kind of hard to. Uh, Put your mind back in there. Although for me personally, I think it holds up a lot. Uh, for me, it holds up really well. But uh, just to, yeah, well, just to touch uh, on I think that, uh, the music. What? Uh, just to touch on the music uh, for uh, for uh, for a moment. Does everyone here beautiful. feel I love like the music, uh, the music uh, the, like, that the music holds up? Uh, that like, the music uh, had uh, uh, definitely had some uh, uh, something to remember. Here's a useless fun by, fact. By the, music. the original soundtrack, uh, freaking hated, and it became the soundtrack for the Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> That's the, kind of uh, awesome. I didn't know that. Well, that and uh, it was Mike Oldfield, his song "Tubular Bells," which I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think "Tubular I, Bells" has been like overused so yeah. much. Well, like, but it, it, it was in existence. It's beautiful. It it was in existence before the movie, and it. Uh, really. It, yeah, it was, and I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it might have won the Grammy for best rock instrumental, um, which it's it's a great great song. It's um, pretty funny. Great great album actually. But Friedkin liked it so much, he took like a very very short snippet of it and used it in the movie. Which the actual Tubular Bells album is just two tracks or two sides of the record, and it's like 25, 30, 23, 20 you know minutes long. Uh, so yeah, it's just Tubular Bells Part One and Part Two, but um, I have yeah, a soundtrack. That sounds correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sweet though, and actually, uh, one of the one reason to watch Exorcist, one reason to watch Exorcist two, uh, is Ennio Morricone's score is really good too. Um, yeah. Did you music for that? Yeah, you did. Um, that movie is a case of Warner Brothers threw nothing but money at it. I mean, uh, directed by John Borman, uh, Richard James O. Jones, Max von Sydow. Uh, there's somebody besides Linda Blair. There's somebody else who's Richard, Richard Burton, and uh, Nurse Ratched from uh, Run for the Cookies. Louis Fletcher, in there. Fisher. Yeah, Fletcher. that's right. Um, nothing but money, and uh, crap for a script. And yeah. <laughs> did anybody else? Did anybody else feel like the cursing was really kind of like out of place? Because it's like every time they did it, like it was like, oh, you're trying to shock me. It's supposed to be. I actually, place, uh, I actually think it was supposed to be shocking. Yeah. And at the time, not a lot of, uh, not a whole lot of people 
uh, uh, we're used to that kind of cursing. Well, especially from a, especially from a child. Especially. Yeah. Well, and and the fact that it's uh, well in a pretty explicitly religious context, and that it's uh, well, and it's again. This is keep in mind. This is the version of evil, spiritual evil that dwells in the puke, the blood, the the bodily fluids, the vile language, the vile acts, you know, this that's that version of evil. It's not and trying to be nice. Mm, been I touched even, on. It, it, it I comes even at the end of the 60s era where, uh, where everyone was trying to spread peace and love everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's like I said before. It's I the, that too. Well, it's the, it's the counterbalance of it. Um, and the start of, of, of war, yeah, I would and have to say. Even, even these days, Using the the see you next Tuesday word mm -hmm. will elicit a <gasps> amongst adults. I said yeah. it. I said it at work amongst a couple of coworkers, <laughs> describing something. I was like, "Yeah, he called me a see you next Tuesday," but I actually said the word. And one of my coworkers was like, "Oh my god, Kim, you said the word." I'm like, "And well, you really I don't hear that one." HR now. I mean, my god. <laughs> Well, and that's uh, something. Well, something that William Peter Blatty was talking about was uh, in one of the behind the scenes was that, well, specifically about the crucifix masturbation scene. But uh, I would argue, the film itself was that he was saying like, it, about that scene specifically in a world where the sensibilities are considered to be so degenerate and depraved, like it remains the most shocking piece of film I've ever seen. Which of course, again, he well, he he didn't well, he didn't direct it, but like, um, the, but I think for me, the the larger point is the idea of the the context in which these actions are happening, with whom they're happening, for what reason, that sort of thing. I think it does penetrate on a deeper level than if you were to just see it in another context. Penetrate. Uh, which, which actually, uh, that reminds me, uh, one scene that actually really, two little things that really freaked me out when I first saw it, they're such little things, but they're significant, was um, the, fla the flash frame of Pazuzu's face. When I saw that, I specifically found the right frame, and I was really freaked out by it, because it registers on a subconscious level, and I, I love it whenever movies do that. And then number two, um, the church desecration. Um, I remember seeing that I was really freaked out because it looked so uh, alien, you know, what was done to the uh, Virgin Mary. And so, like, just frightful. Well, it was frightening in the sense of just what it looked like. It didn't look like anything. Any, well, it didn't look like what my mind would have gone to in terms of desecration. And it just, uh, it really did look like something out of, of Alien, which hadn't come out yet. But um, what I, I would call it an insult to Alien. Like it was, that scene was just. I couldn't figure out why it was there. It's like, hey, statue that's been messed up a little bit. And well, it's the reason why it's there is well, hey, because to build up, but also be it's uh, trying to. Uh, William Peter Blatty was trying to tie in not only historical cases of exorcism and the behaviors observed therein but also some aspects of like black mass rituals, uh, which is part of where the sexual uh, acts come from and also like desecration of, you know, religious symbols and places and things like that. So it's partially there to tie into that as well. And, and that chapel is located at the very center of the Georgetown campus. Mm -hmm. And so there's that sense of where is safe. 
weird. Well, who who did it? Like, did it just appear overnight through like demonic powers or whatever? Like, was that what was supposed yeah, to? Yeah, no one saw that scene. Well, presumably it was. Uh, I mean, it's not ex super important if it was. Uh, I don't know if it was super important if it was Reagan herself who did it or if it was. Yeah, the chaos that the demon Pazuzu spreads because uh, they go into this a little bit more in Exorcist 2 is the idea that the presence of Pazuzu is able to cause a chain reaction of chaos and evil for those who come into the presence of Pazuzu and those who call upon Pazuzu. Um, it, it triggers mass hysteria. I mean, in the clinical sense, mass hysteria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let alone in the spiritual theological yeah. sense as well. So well, I, I don't think it's quite as literally important as to who specifically did it as much as the the influence that is being felt across uh, this little epicenter of religion, culture. Uh, and also the, keep in mind the fact that this, this it's Georgetown, I guess where Georgetown is, Washington, D.C. So it literally is in the heart of America, you know, where this is taking place. So, well, and also remember there's the dinner party scene where you have all the social elite of Washington you know, you have an astronaut and everybody, and uh, and so you have all these intersections of, of culture and society, and in the middle of all this, you have the kind of this sort of tug of war. Yeah. Like, teen well, girl that, I think that's weird and inappropriate at a party. Like, that wasn't... I think that's part of the point of why uh, there's that kind of scene there, is because, like you said, it's a meeting of actors, of the astronaut, of this drunken uh, director, you know, all these different people, and the fact it's in Washington, heart heart of America in this very turbulent time. It's you know Georgetown's right in the smack middle of that. You know, so it is this epicenter of all these different forces at an already very turbulent time in our history. Well, one thing um, I, I liked about the film that it doesn't completely touch on at the end is that there's not really a happy ending to the movie. You know, like. Yeah, the, the little girl's no longer possessed to our now our, our knowledge. But now two priests are dead. Um, they're having to move. Uh -huh. um, the kid's gonna probably be traumatized for the rest of her life from the just residual of all that. You know, she's losing her nanny because you know after everything that happened, the nanny's like, screw this, I'm not dealing with this kid anymore. Even though he's <laughs> still. But that's why there's <laughs> the well. Didn't they play it as she didn't remember anything about being possessed anyway? So it was like none of that actually mattered. Like, well, which again, Exorcist Two kind of undoes that. Yeah, exactly. Stop referencing Exorcist Two. <laughs> I'm not gonna see Exorcist Two. I'm sure it's awful. But um, well, I actually I remember that it was uh, it was Blatty who wanted the extended ending, which I think is in the director's cut about. The idea that uh, the relationship between Marin and Karis lives on with a Lieutenant Hinderman uh, and uh, and Father Dyer, right. um, which is an interesting thing. I kind of like the way it is in the theatrical cut because I think that it has a redemptive quality to it, uh, even though it doesn't necessarily. the the relationship between those two um, does that is kind of a center point of Exorcist Three. Um, but um, I think we have touched on a good number of things. Um, any like last words from anyone? Well, I have I have the book of this because when I saw Psycho for the first few times, I had the same problem. I did not enjoy it. Then I read the book, and then I saw the movie again. Yeah. I greatly enjoyed the book. 
um, because I knew there were some differences between the film and the book. I felt the book was very superior to the film. Whereas from the research I've been able to do, it sounds like the film, The Exorcist, is a very faithful adaptation of the book. So I do, I do want to read the book because uh, I, I do feel like it would provide some other interesting uh, angles on things. Well, and it's... after finding that out, like that, the book is very accurate to the movie. Uh, I am convinced it would be a total waste of my time, so I'm throwing out my copy. <laughs> hey, can always we all need it. As <laughs> there are those of us who are interested in such things, but Actually, that is precisely why I figured this would be a fruitful discussion because we have all these different. Uh, again, part of the reason why I personally love The Exorcist not only as a great work of filmmaking and uh, obviously practical effects and all it, that stuff, but it. I think it definitely laid the groundwork for Exorcist films. Oh yeah, come. well, and, and just films in general for pushing the envelope of content and. Uh, and in my estimation, doing it in an intelligent way that does make you think about larger issues, because it's not, to me anyway, not trying to shock just for shock's sake, as I've seen other exactly. films try to do. It's I got exactly a, that impression of it. Like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Well, oh. it, uh, I feel like it's something that it deliberately, you have to, it's one of those films that you have to have an opinion about. It's not one that you can necessarily just forget about, and I think that that's the mark of a good film, at least to me. Um, if I but, if I had seen it without like all of its history and pop culture backstory, I'd have given it a five out of ten on IMDb for production value, and then never thought about it again. Well, but again, you're seeing it mm -hmm. from a 21st century person's perspective. It'd be might be a different story if it were 1973 and people were needing barf bags. Uh, you know, in the theater like they were needing, but... Um, well, I'm sure people at the 20s World Fair were impressed by light bulbs. Well, the people in the 20s got to see Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and stuff like that on the big screen, so they were pretty lucky. That would have been pretty cool. That would have been awesome. But, um, David, do you want to wrap up everybody? Oh, sure. Um, well, um, I think we definitely had a very cool uh, conversation. And again, I th uh, thank um, Father Brian uh, for coming on the show again. again thank you for uh, for coming. Hopefully, hopefully you had fun. Um, and thank you again for coming and, uh, on. Thank, uh, thank you. Yeah, you're a, you're a, a thank friend. Thank you, Andrew, uh, for coming on the show. I know this was your first time. Hopefully, you enjoyed yourself. Oh, I did. Um, I'm actually kind of excited for future episodes. Awesome. Yeah, um, you're pretty cool. Like well, I look forward right. to talking to you more. Dustin, you know you know him, right? Dustin, you know you met him. Toxie? Yes. Oh my shit! Yeah. Thank you again to Father Brian. I feel like you added a lot of good, you know, firsthand authenticity to this subject matter. Plus, being a movie fan yourself, so especially about the original story to to the the to the plot in the book and the film that was very incisive thank you um right yeah, about now I, we, we i was trying to say thank you to um to to him as well so that's that's who i was originally addressing because i'm i'm sure it wasn't very easy to sit here and listen to my outright hatred of this movie which i think we picked <laughs> explicitly to troll me so. Well, you know, we've all gotta we all gotta go through our lashings. We've all gotta have our uh, crosses to bear, shall we say, in life. I would have rather seen the room two more times. 
Oh, I love the room. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, doggy. I, 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 I got to watch Salo. I had to watch Salo again, so. <laughs> Now is where where we uh, where uh, we each uh, kind of go uh, go through a line and we tell where we're from. It's kind of like a uh, where we advertise where uh, what we do and whatnot. So um, um, go ahead, um, um, uh, Father Brian. Uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your, uh, yourself, what you uh, do, and uh, you like you did in the beginning. Um, and uh, we'll go, just kind of go down the line. All right, well, uh, my name is Father Brian Small, the Catholic priest in Atlanta, Georgia, pastor of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, what, more do you, what more do you want? Um, just, to uh, how about it is, just to clarify that it is not Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> and, uh, very Maybe important what distinct. you do for Dragon Con. I'm Dragon sorry? Con. Uh, maybe what you do for Dragon Con? Oh, um, just various panels. Um, so la this past go around, I had 12 panels, and one of them was on the Fox TV series, The Exorcist, which if you haven't seen, um, when I first heard about it, I was not excited about it at all, but upon watching it, uh, it's actually pretty good. I'm not saying it's perfect, but uh, it's, it's a lot more watchable than I thought it would be. So it's definitely worth a binge if you've got Hulu. And I believe the second season has been announced uh, yeah, or whatnot. Quick, quick tangent. How yep. good is Preacher? Is that is that similar? Oh, Preacher is very. Good. <laughs> um, the thing. Have you read the comic at all? I know a little bit about Preacher. the comic. I used to listen to a band called Dream Theater, and they have this twenty-four minute song in the presence of enemies, and there was some debate that they stole the theme, the ideas used to write that song. Like, that song has a story that it tells. There was some debate that they stole it from Preacher. So that's my familiarity with Preacher. We all have been. Well, it, it kind of gets into the idea of, of sort of God as the absentee landlord, or kind of like with Dogma. He goes off, you know, to play skee-ball or something. Um, kind of like in Supernatural, where he just... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, right? that seems to be kind of a, uh, a, a trope unto itself. Um, the thing with Preacher is the first season is a prequel to the comic, and so the second season picks up where the comic starts, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but it's worth okay. checking out. Okay. I um, I found the first season, like, in a steelbook for accidentally priced for, like, what, a, th a third of what it's supposed to be worth. So I picked that up a few months ago, and it's been in my giant stack of movies. <laughs> so... Um. Katie, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about what you do, where you're from? Okay, I am Katie Cadaver from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I do a whole bunch of stuff. I'm a horror artist, uh, makeup artist for the horror punk band Rat Bat Spider. I am a dead girl with Deadger's Dark Coffin Classic, and I also perform burlesque and make cool vests and clothing and do all kinds of um, fun art stuff. And you can find me on Facebook. I'm all over Facebook with Katie Cadaver and uh, Third Eye Open, which is my artist page. And also you can look up Deadgers Dark Coffin Classics, which is a horror TV show based out of Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, that is on facebook.com slash ddcc. Um, 
Andrew, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, uh, what, uh, what you do, where you're from? <coughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about your a acting and the uh, production company that you're part of? Oh, yeah. Um, well, my name is Andrew Tromaton. I am from out of Tromaville, Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Um, <laughs> Greatest. I once played in a band called the Tromatons. Uh, we were a... Um, uh, pretty much a toxic horror pop punk band, basically. Um, kind of currently in the midst of working on something new. Uh, with, so uh, your, with your traumatons going wild the whole time, I assume. Yes. <laughs> well, there were times I did lose my pants, so I'm not going to lie. But, um, did you do the Red Hot Chili Peppers things thing where you just like, played naked, but you wore socks on your junk? Actually, I um, I played a show in Chicago in my Spider-Man underwear underoos with a black tutu on and uh, duct tape pasties on my nipples. Good enough. <laughs> there is pictures of this <laughs> on I the internet. I I will post them later, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I also work with a uh, independent film studio called Punchin Studios. Where we have made such films as uh, Time to Pay and The Damned Witch, which, interestingly enough, is actually our short film, uh, kind of like The Exorcist, but more or less based around deli meat. So, <laughs> yeah. There's no yeah. way it can be worse. Oh, yes. It is I'm well, sure it's well, it, well, it is pretty incredible. Um, but I also do a uh, Facebook Live thing called the Horrible Horrors Reviews Show, uh, which is basically on my uh, personal page and all that stuff, where I just basically sit there and I go off for about an hour on the uh, livecast, talking about different topics, you know, um, where I pretty much talked about, I think the first episode I did actually talked about monster-related cartoons and video games. And I think the next <laughs> episode I'm going to be doing is... Uh, I'm going to be delving more into uh, <coughs> horror punk and all that stuff. So it should be kind of interesting. Uh, some of the different bands that have, like, you know, started it and the ones that are currently still playing and all that stuff. And uh, I'm also a uh, famous uh, fetish model as well. I mean, you can find me on bigbears.com. You know, all like, the bears love me. Really? Or... <laughs> no, I... not really, no. I assume that that's a. I assume that that's a website all about black bears, grizzly bears, uh, panda bears, all that kind of stuff. We'll just go with that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Check it out. Yeah, but, I do like. Uh, I do. I do like fuzzy, cute bears, though, uh, of the animal variety. But I enjoy Yogi to a certain extent. Uh -huh. <laughs> I like all from prophecy, but it's not very fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's um, I'm on Facebook, you know, at um, under Andrew Traumaton. I also there's also the Facebook.com/slash the Traumatons, and there's also a possibility of a defunct um, review show that I was working on with my friend Marky called the Toxic Reviews oh. that you can also find on uh, Facebook as well. We also have a YouTube channel uh, with only one video. But hopefully, you know, once I get things kind of rolling, you know, I might be actually getting back into that, actually. Cool. So, okay. Cool. That's pretty much all I got. 
Alrighty, um, Dane, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about wh uh, where you're from, what you do? Yes, um, well, first of all, yes, again, thank you, Father Brian, for being here. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, David, for letting me uh, take the reins of this one, because it's, uh, it's a favorite of mine. I knew it would so, prompt yeah, a lot of good discussion. I was demonically possessed into giving I know. it to you. I know. I, uh, I, I, I called on I called on the name of Pazuzu, and it caused a chain reaction because his wings uh, brushed against. Pazuzu. Anyway, another <laughs> Exorcist Two reference. Anyway, uh, yes, I am Dane Kyle, and I am a independent writer director uh, based out of North Carolina. For right now, you can check me out on YouTube at the Dane Kyle K E I L. Uh, and you can check out my German Expressionist silent film, Eternus, which won a lot of uh, acclaim from some bigwigs in the industry, including Lloyd Kaufman of Troma fame, who has a cameo in my upcoming film noir short film, The Big Blind. Stay tuned for that. Um, and just subscribe. Connect to me on Facebook and Twitter, anywhere you can find me. Stay up to date on the latest updates. And always, as always... Tune in here to Inside Movies Galore for the latest and greatest in film, criticism, and debate. Like, share, and subscribe. Alrighty. Do it. Um, KJ, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from? KJ? Yeah. I've got KJ. He fell asleep. I think he's dead, Jim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, worse. It's, it's worse than that. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> uh, Brandon, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, 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 where you're from, what you do? Oh well, uh, actually, I took a, a thought about that uh, horror punk groups. Uh, have you heard of Corner Macabre? Uh, of course not. No, I've heard of Texas Chainsaw or Texas French Toast Massacre, though. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have that every day for breakfast. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> my name is Brandon Farmer. I'm actually uh, from a uh, page called uh, Septum Sin versus the World. Uh, I do uh, mainly a tribute to physical media. Um, I prefer films from most sources, uh, so I uh, tend to do a lot of reviews. Um, we do uh, upcoming videos for. Uh, you know, upcoming releases, like uh, one that we just released was uh, one for uh, next week's DVD and movie releases. But uh, the thing I'm excited about currently is that I've got an upcoming um, series of reviews on the Camp Blood series, where I basically powered through Camp Blood uh, 1 through 6. It's kind of a... That was, that was a very emotional experience for me. Interesting I was, uh, emotion. Are those are those the ones with like the weird clown on the cover? Yes, yes. I was overjoyed. I had like a whole mix of emotions. Overjoyed. I was, I was uh, aghast about how scary it could be. I was laughing. I was bored. I was all of those emotions at once, all throughout the whole thing. Uh, that reminds me <laughs> of uh, a thing I saw in a comic once. It's like a billboard for a play, and the quote, the line is. I laughed. I cried. A manic depression. <laughs> or, or what was it? The uh, the uh, whole hardware wars. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll kiss five bucks goodbye. <laughs> A manic depression. Already? Um, you still here? Kim. Oh. Okay. Oh. Um. 
I'm going to go, uh, go, and then I'll let you uh, you go, uh, Dustin. Well, my name is David Stregge. Uh, I run Movies Galore Milwaukee. Um, I also write a, uh, from a blog of the same name, and I kind of host this uh, 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 show with you derelicts. Anyways. Um, I resemble uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Anyways. <laughs> Um, uh, going on, I'm also a producer of, of Small Stature, um, uh, coming out um, in 2018. I'm one of the executive producers of Brad Twig's Wrestle Massacre um, and uh, various films throughout the world currently in circulation. So um, that is me. Um, and uh, Hopefully, um, you guys had a pleasant time on this episode. Uh, Dustin, uh, why don't you explain a little bit about yourself? <laughs> explain yourself. Uh, well, Justify your existence were, right now. Where were you on the night of the exorcism? <laughs> well, I'm usually only about 10% this uh, angry and opinionated, but I really hated this motherfucking movie, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> No, I live in Milwaukee and go to UWM. Um, I study something completely unrelated to film, but know an awful lot about film. So I love doing these. And uh, despite the movies having no redeeming qualities sometimes, um, it's a pretty it's pretty great. So I'm really happy to be here. And um, yeah, I'm probably going to play some Dead by Daylight later, even though I should really be studying my Python programming book, which... Not doing great. <laughs> all righty. Well, uh, th uh, thank you all for uh, uh, coming tonight. Um, I'm going to uh, just uh, say that K uh, KJ was uh, was part of a, a group called Timeless Class uh, Classic uh, Films. Uh, he started the group when he was 18, and um, it, it, he's got roughly around like 2,000 or so members. Uh, so he's... His He's kind of a smart kid. His so. hobbies include sewing, walking on the beach, playing with puppies, taking long walks. <laughs> yeah, I promise you, he's cooler than that. You can, you can, yeah, call, you, you can he's call, just call, studying, him, call him for a good time. Five, 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 zero. As I understand, he's studying criminology. So, uh, huh. in any it's case, ten dollars a call. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, thank you all for coming. I'm going to uh, uh, going to, uh, uh, everyone say goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Hail Pazuzu. Almost beyond comprehension is happening to a girl on this street, in this house. And a man has been sent for as a last resort. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. 
Now I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that. Excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that?